All right, how about we ask the Lord if he will speak to us this morning, yeah? Father, we ask that you would, through your spirit, through your words, that you would bring Jesus to us right now, in this moment, for all of us, we really need to see Jesus today. Um, we cannot make it another week for a lot of us unless we see Jesus today, right now. So would you speak? Would you speak through your words? You, you always do, but maybe help us just listen for a moment, Father. Help us see him. Peel the blinders back for us. And if you agree with that prayer and want to hear God speak, say amen. All right, guys, uh, I'm stoked to preach with you guys today. The 9 a.m. has the last couple of weeks been so responsive. It's been encouraging and love it because part of the preaching uh, role is not only bringing what God has said this last week, but it's also sitting up here right now in this moment watching you guys and listening for what the Spirit is doing right now. So you guys can help me out. The 11 used to be the most noisy service there was, and it would just keep it going. And I know that you guys still love to respond in that way, but probably just need an invitation a little bit. So this is the invitation. I would love to hear the amens and the clapping. If something rings true to you and it speaks true to you, then say it, because then somebody else can be like, yeah, that is really good, that word of God. All right, amen? All right, amen, yes. You clap in all of it, let's do it. Let's do it. Um, we're going to be in John 3 today, so you can turn there in your Bibles. No one has ascended into heaven. No one has ascended into heaven. It doesn't mean we haven't tried. In 1992, a man named Chris had spent the last five years of his life hitchhiking and backpacking across the country and had landed in Fairbanks, Alaska, and then got a ride in the middle of winter to one of the most treacherous trails in the Alaskan bush. He got a ride from an electrician who, along the way, tried to convince him not to go hike into that area because he saw that he was, one, rather inexperienced, two, didn't have enough stuff for what the wilderness of Alaska would bring. But Chris, who had really been trying to escape all of the burdens and broken things of modern society in kind of a romantic, adventurous quest, took a bag of meager things and very little equipment and hiked into the Alaskan bush. In April of 1992, a group of moose hunters stumbled upon a abandoned, deteriorating 1940s-era bus and they thought this will be great for shelter as they're out there hiking and hunting. And when they went into the bus, they began to smell decay. And they found in the back of the bus a sleeping bag filled with Chris's remains. This inspired the novel Into the Wild, which then inspired the movie Into the Wild. And it became quite a romantic tale that inspired many, his retreat to the point of getting away and then the sadness that was in that story. But here's the crazy thing. This summer in June, the Alaskan Army National Guard had to helivac and remove that deteriorating bus away because so many people were getting hurt and injured trying to make pilgrimages to it. So 
in 2019, when the second person to go out there and die, died, they said, we gotta get rid of the bus. And you might think that that story is crazy. <laughs> this seeking so much crazy adventure like that that it would actually kill people, even knowing that somebody already has died, and yet you can relate. Every one of us has something that we have gone pursuing thinking it would give us life, but it's given us death. Amen? Every single one of you right here, right now, has in their mind something that you know you've chased after to find a shred, an inch of heaven on earth and gotten hell. Amen? I mean, the reason that this young man went into the woods was not so that he could die, but so that he might find life. But he didn't find it. And so all of us can actually relate to that because pick the word you want to use. Heaven, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, eternal life, the good life, security, peace, the job that you want, the relationship that might make you whole. All of these things you think might give you life and they will give you what, church? Death. They will give you death. No one has ascended into heaven. Doesn't mean we don't try. Sometimes we walk into these church doors, I did, thinking it didn't work fine in heaven on earth here, so maybe when I die I'll find a way to escape to heaven above. And maybe we're asking the wrong question. We ask, how can I get to heaven? How can I get heaven? But what Jesus is asking in this message, and you will see in this scripture, is not how I can get to heaven, but how Jesus can get heaven into us. Amen? He instead is thinking, how might I bring heaven down and get it into the people of God? So let's hear what Jesus has to say, because the way that we get heaven into us is going to be by the womb of heaven, the wind of heaven, through the man of heaven. Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night. He is a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. For Jesus to get it, heaven into us, we need to be born of the womb of heaven. Here comes Nicodemus. He spent his whole life as a teacher of Israel. He has spent his whole life as a shepherd, a pastor to the people. He's had the deepest theological conversations around. He's got the long gray beard that shows that he's lived a life. And he has heard about this Jesus. He is curious about the Jesus because he is doing signs that point to something that he knows a lot about, the kingdom of heaven. But Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus in the night. And John wants us to notice that. Because what Nicodemus and the crowds that he came before are saying to him is that you are a great teacher of God. We have to be careful, even within our context in the church, that we will not relegate Jesus to just another great teacher. Maybe Jesus is just someone who can point us on our way, our journey to get heaven. But Jesus is going to turn it around on Nicodemus in such a way where that language won't even work in the conversation. Nicodemus is curious enough about the light, but he comes as one who clings still to the darkness. He is making a judgment call on who Jesus is. He tells him, Rabbi, which interestingly enough, what Nicodemus would have been called. He's nudging up next to Jesus and he's like, hey, I, I, 
I know you're hanging with the other disciples, but Nicodemus, me, let us, Jesus, have a talk theological about the deep things of God. Teacher, rabbi, we know your teacher come from God. No one else can do these signs that you do that are pointing to the kingdom of heaven unless God is with him. And what does Jesus say? Unless you are born again, you can't even see the things that I'm pointing to. You might see the signs and think these are beautiful things, but you will not see the heavenly reality that I am trying to point to and I am trying to demonstrate unless there is a birth that comes from above. This is why we're so bad at getting heaven on our own. We can't see it if it hit us in the face. We cannot see heaven and our definition of it if it were to be right in front of us and our definition of heaven on earth might be somebody else's hell and often is. Sometimes even our definition of heaven on earth ends up, like we said, leading us to death. And so what Jesus says is you must be born from above. The word here could mean born anew, maybe like another time, or it really could mean born from up above. And for Jesus' use and what he's going to say to Nicodemus, both of those kind of work. But what Nicodemus is going to hear is timing. What Jesus means is origin. He needs a birth that comes from somewhere else. A new experience of life, just like a baby coming out of the womb, but it has to be from somewhere else. The, that's right. I, I see you guys. I see you. The one, the one who wants a clap. Let's get the two. That's all right. So Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus, you can't seriously think that Jesus is really saying that in order to see and enter the kingdom of God, you need to crawl back up into the uterus of your mother and go through another birth experience. I mean, Nicodemus, you should, you should know better that you are sitting here with Jesus and you're really gonna like be that crass and that dismisses of the, of the statements that Jesus is making. Nicodemus, like he, you know Jesus doesn't mean that. But this is how all of us respond to God when the thing that we put our trust in and we put our reliance upon gets pulled out from under us and Jesus makes us stand before God naked with our existence at hand. Because that is what Nicodemus has entered into with Jesus. You must be born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Think about how ridiculous this sounds. Of course, Jesus isn't talking necessarily about a physical birth, and yet Nicodemus hears timing, another time, another birth-like experience, and for an old man, the idea of starting all over is tiresome and problematic. For a lot of us who are still young, we actually love the idea of starting all over. We might be able to reinvent ourselves. We might be able to turn a new leaf, and maybe this time we can make it better. And yet Nicodemus, as the wise old sage, hears the idea of something that might start all over and dismisses it and mocks it because he's an old man. We like the idea of reinventing ourselves because then the origin is still in our hands. We have control. But what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus is something that he can have no control over. How can a man be born when he is old? Nico is combative. 
But Jesus is invitational. Jesus responds and says, truly I say to you, unless you're born of water and spirit, you won't be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why water and spirit? This is a hard one to translate because on one hand, it could, some people think it could mean water, maybe baptism, but Nicodemus has no idea, any idea of Christian baptism, so it can't mean that. And it may be some say that it might be John's baptism, but Jesus is talking entirely about birth, and John's baptism was about covering over and washing of sins, so it, maybe it can't necessarily be that. So what does it mean by water and spirit? And what I think Jesus is doing, and what you see here in the scriptures, is that he hears Nicodemus say, you think I have to crawl back up into my mother's womb? And Jesus grabs onto that and goes, yes, womb, but you're thinking the wrong womb. Womb, but what you need is not the watery amniotic fluid of your mother's womb. You need the watery amniotic fluid of the spirit of the living God to give birth to you, amen? What you need is something that comes from above, something that is the spirit of the living God giving origin to new life and new creation. Truly, truly, I say, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of of God. We need the birth that is from above. We need that from the womb of heaven. To get heaven into you, we need the power of the wind of heaven. So Nicodemus, <clears throat> Jesus continues, don't marvel that I say you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and flesh gives birth to flesh, gives birth to flesh, gives birth to flesh. There's nothing that we can do that will ever equal heaven. Because we are tied to the brokenness of this world in our own sinfulness and even our attempts at chasing after and making heaven will end up bringing about death. Flesh always will give birth to flesh, Nicodemus. You know that you need something totally new, a new origin. We are powerless. When I grew up, the idea of being born again was turned into uh, like varsity Christian. Like, you were a Christian, but then you could be a born-again Christian. And so it might have been something that happened in the youth groups where it was like every eye closed and every head bowed. And if you want to give your life, we're going to, this is how you're born again, you might say a prayer. And without really realizing it, we turn something that Jesus is talking so clearly as an act of heaven coming down into us trying to get back up. I mean, that, that's how I heard it growing up was this idea uh, that born again was a, a whole new form of Christianity. My favorite was uh, the scene from the movie Fury with Brad Pitt and Shia LaBeouf, and there's this character in there, and they meet, and Shia LaBeouf is a born-again Christian, and he's got that southern accent, which I tried to do with the nine. It didn't work, so I'm just not going to even try now, but Shia comes up to this character, and he says, hey, son, are you born again? I can't. I, it just comes out. He goes, oh, you know, I, I've been to Catholic school, and I grew up going to mass, and he goes, that's not what I asked you. Are you born again? Born-again Christian is an oxymoron. It's like ATM machine. The M is for machine. 
You cannot be a Christian and not be born from above by the Spirit of God. You cannot be a Christian and follow Jesus unless first he has stirred something in you that would look at him in love. We are powerless, but there is one who has power. Jesus says, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. Our powerlessness points to a need for power. And Jesus' answer is the wind. And in Greek and Hebrew, interestingly, wind, breath, spirit, same word. So Jesus can just play with that image in such a way to talk about wind, to give us this picture of something that is powerful, outside of your control, and stands for the untamable power of God. Think about the wind. Stand in the middle of a field. What can cause a hurricane, strip a tree bare, and then can gently feel nice on your skin? Wind. What can you stand in the middle of a field and really see nothing but a little bit of shifting of the grass and not be able to see at all, and yet as it blows past you, you can feel it, the wind. So it is with one who is born of the Spirit of God. You don't know where the Spirit of God came from. You don't know where he's going to go next. He is untamable and uncontrollable, but so powerful that he can bring about new life and new creation anywhere he wants. That is how we must be born, of the wind of heaven. The Spirit of God is the untamable power of God. And so hearing this, Nicodemus says, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Which here in that, as I was reading and studying this week, I asked, I don't know what he's talking about. So why is Nicodemus supposed to know? Because follow how it goes. He says you must be born from above. Nicodemus doesn't get it. Jesus is totally okay with the fact that he doesn't get it and gives him a deeper metaphor. But as soon as he says water and wind... He goes, Nicodemus, you should be getting this by now. Why? What about him being a teacher of Israel makes it so that he must know this by now? Because this idea that recreation, a new birth, and life to bring heaven on earth that can only be done by the Spirit coming down, that's something that is old news and all over the Old Testament. Genesis 1, the spirit of the living God was hovering over the waters. And when God had to rescue Israel out of slavery and exile and brokenness, they stood at the edge of the waters and a wind from the east came and blew and opened up a way for them to go to salvation. And when we get to Ezekiel and God promises Ezekiel, it is not for your sake but for my name's sake that I will act, and then Ezekiel is standing before a graveyard of bones and God asks him, can the breath go into the army? Ezekiel, he says, I don't know. Prophesy to the wind, it will come in and it will breathe dead bodies back to life. The reason Nicodemus should know this is this is nothing new. The spirit of God always has to be the one that comes down. It is not by might, it is not by strength, it is not by our power, but the spirit of the living God. Amen. We are powerless, but there is one 
who has power. So then if we cannot go get it, is there any hope for these longings that we have? I know all of us have had them this year. Is there a hope for these longings that we have if we cannot go get it? The man of heaven must bring heaven down. Verse 12, if I told you earthly things and you didn't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? The problem that Nicodemus has and the crowds and us is they just want Jesus to speak plainly. All the way to the point of his crucifixion, they are asking, if you're just the Messiah, just say it already. And again and again, Jesus gives them picture and metaphor and demonstration, and they ask him for a sign, and then he tells them about Jonah. They just, just tell us plainly, Jesus, are you the Messiah? We can relate to that. Because how many of us have, this week alone, felt frustrated with the fact that, God, why can't you just speak from the heavens? Why can't you just tell me in a clear way that I would understand and then I would obey? But that is not how language works. Think about any time you've had a conversation about love, relationship, or any of the deep things of God and spoke without using a metaphor. Try this week. Try to talk about something of those things without using any metaphors. And I Bet you, you'll not even realize the things coming around are all metaphors and analogies. Our language for God is so often analogous because that's, that's how language works. They say the hardest thing to learn when you're learning another language is to learn the idioms. And what's harder is to be able to talk about these deep things of life because once you get into talking about spirituality and love and all of its idioms... I got, a, I got a friend, his name Ryan, he's quite the world traveler back in the day, and I have heard about this because he's told me about this before, but he has a list of euphemisms and idioms from other languages. I'm gonna read some to you guys. Uh, first one was uh, a Polish idiom. Not my circus, not my monkeys. <laughs> Which, uh, you probably can guess the meaning of that. Um, one from North England. Man, that is rough as toast. Which apparently is a way to say, like, that's hard. Um, this one's a good one. So this one's a, a Brazilian one. Uh, holding the candlelight, which is a metaphor for being a third wheel. Imagine just holding the candlelight on the date. <laughs> um, for In Alb Albanian, one of them, to say that you like someone, you would say, I will bite you. And then to say, uh, you could say, don't carry two pumpkins with one shoulder, which means don't bite off more than you can chew, which interestingly enough, I can't even explain it without using another euphemism, another idiom. Um, I, then someone sent me one this morning. Uh, my friend from, from China had said there was one in there. He said, I want to eat tofu. Apparently it means I like you in a dating context, which, yeah, right, what? You have two options when you hear these kind of crazy idioms and metaphors. This is how language works. You can either go, that sounds ridiculous, and then walk away. Or you hear the idiom, and then you have to watch how it works in reality. Let's try again. You can walk away from the metaphor and the sign without knowing what it means, or you can stick around and watch how Jesus works in real life. 
For Jesus, he's telling Nicodemus, I told you the signs, but you're not getting them, so how are you gonna get the destination? If I told you the metaphor, but you can't trust the metaphor, how are you gonna get the heavenly reality? What you want is for more clarity, but you're only gonna get this through seeing the living, active metaphors of life. And I think that in this moment, this is a warning for Nicodemus, and it's also a warning for us, because the next metaphor that Jesus is about to give is the metaphor that all metaphors point to. The next thing he's about to say, the next earthly metaphor he's gonna give is the sign that all the signs of John's gospel and his ministry will point to. Are you ready? It is in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As Moses is lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I know you guys are super brushed up on Numbers 21, and that's your favorite book, but just in case, I'm gonna go through it again. Numbers 21, the people of God rebel and complain and they say, you're just giving this bread from heaven? We're sick of this. You just brought us out of the wilderness to die. As a result of their sin, snakes come and start to bite and kill them. They cry out to God and say, save us. And God tells Moses, take a serpent in bronze, lift it up. Anyone who looks to the serpent will live starting to catch on to the, to the metaphor. He, the, they sin, and their sin brings death, and then the image of the thing that killed them gets lifted up, and they're told, if you just look to that image, you will have life. We sin, we die. But if anyone looks up to the living symbol of what kills us, we will live. Because Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. As the serpent is lifted up, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. The one who looks like a man being tortured to death because of rebellion and betrayal because of the image that if we look to, we will live. And you can only see this and love it and step into it unless the Spirit of God has already brought about new birth. And here's the cool thing too, the only way we could have that new birth and the spirit being poured out is because with Jesus' ascension onto the cross, he began his ascension as the king. That is what brought us about the spirit. Turn to the son and live. I'm gonna invite the band on stage. You guys can head on up here and play, we're gonna play some music. Um, I want you guys right now for a moment, just. Grab the communion elements. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended. And in his descent, we find life because his ascent is an ascent onto a cross. So I'm gonna invite you guys for a moment just to take those elements, hold them in your hand, and go ahead and close your eyes for a second. You don't have to, but just invitation if you want to. I want you to imagine 
either standing next to John who wrote the gospel or Mary who was standing there with him, his mother, or Mary Magdalene who had walked alongside Jesus for a long time. I want you to imagine that you're standing with them, maybe shoulder to shoulder, maybe holding hands, and what you're looking at in front of you is the one that you followed for the last couple of years who said he would bring life and he is slowly suffocating to death. I want you to imagine Jesus hanging on the cross as you hold the elements of the bread and the blood, the body and the blood in your hands. I want you to imagine looking at Jesus as he hangs on the cross and into his face and into his eyes and seeing there the other things that we chase after to bring heaven. I want to tell you good news. If you see that and you love it, it can only be because the Spirit has already begun work. For those of you who maybe for the first time look and see Jesus in that, look to the Son. For those of us uh, who have been in this for a while, but we need the reminder, look to the Son. If you look to that son and you see Jesus and you see the love of God, then here's what you can do in response. And only, only do this if that's the case. I want you to open up your bread, take and eat. This is the body Jesus gave for us. If you look to him and seeing on the cross your sin hanging, Take the wine and drink. This is the blood that was poured out for you that the Spirit might come and bring new life. And now I want to invite all of us to stand. We are going to respond to God in worship. If you need to be prayed for, God did something in that moment for you and you want to pray or anything at all that you might need, you can head to the side in prayer. But for all of us, let us stand, we're going to sing, and we're going to worship the Lord.